Rarely do well-behaved people make history. It's always the defiant ones leaving their mark. The rebels, the artists, the rule breakers, the misfits. The ones who didn't take no for an answer and paved their own way. The defiant humans. This is the podcast where we share these stories and breathe life into your next evolution. This is the Defiant Human Podcast. Hey, Jolie, thank you so much for coming on today. I'm so excited to to chat with you um, and, and hear your story. So tell us a little bit about who you are and what we're talking about today. Yeah, so, well, thanks first, Brittany, for having me. I love a good conversation, like really. One of my mentors, Thomas Moore, says um, that conversation is the sex act of the soul. So let's just get right into it. Ooh. Let's just get right into it. Yes. <laughs> Let, let's have soul sex. Yes, oh my gosh. Funny way to ask me to, to marry you, but okay. I'm right, just- isn't it? it? Isn't it? I'm like, I'm just coming in bold. I'm coming in bold. I love it. Okay, let's do this. So I am a depth psychologist by training. I trained in Jungian and archetypal psychology. I am also an ASEC certified sex educator. I am also a mom of seven teenagers. Well, now they're starting to leave their teen years. Um, And I am a person who absolutely loves helping people transition from the monogamous world to the non-monogamous world, whatever that looks like for them. There's a lot of different ways to be non-monogamous. And as a PhD academic researcher, my primary research is in jealousy, which makes a lot of sense. Because if you're going to leave the mono paradigm, you know you got to deal with jealousy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So let's back up. Seven children. Yes. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I do like a crowd and I like chaos. That is wild. Okay. So are you currently married? I am. I am married and I live with a partner. I have other partners, but I'm married and live with one partner okay. and co-parent this wild bunch mm-hmm. who are in various stages. You know, some of them are, are younger and still doing household stuff. And some of them are off at college. One has their own house. It's wow, wild ride. So now that you're like public about this, so your older children, do they, do they know and do they understand? Yeah. You know, okay. we came out, I came out as non-monogamous personally, um, for 15 years ago. So my kids were between the ages of two and 10 and they have always known since that day, they've always known, but there's an interesting thing. And I've heard about this from other people too, who are non-monogamous kids exist in this world with us and they won't they don't really know what that means or how it's different from other people. They they have to see it in context, right? Like they have known that I have close friends or that I have people who come and sleep over, but they never saw that as anything strange. It was just how we were. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet they still had a pretty mono mind themselves. I can remember one of my kids, the middlest one, she was having a discussion with one of her cousins when she was about nine years old. And her older cousin is like, was, you know, bringing some high school edgy chat and was like, oh, there's, I think, I think you're, I think your mom's cheating. And, and my daughter said, yeah, yeah. But like my mom has an agreement that it's okay to cheat because she didn't get it yet. Like she, Mm -hmm. she, even though she had literally been raised in this, she didn't know what it meant to have an agreement to be non-monogamous. She was still operating herself in that idea that there's either one person or you're cheating. When in fact, there's something so much more complicated and nuanced than that. But you know, she was nine. She's doing the best she could. Okay. So that, yeah, that, that perked my ear, my ears up a little bit. I, I have so many questions on this topic. So, um, you know, you, we, this is our first time getting to know each other. So I am newly divorced. Um, I've been divorced for about a year now, separated for two and I'm single. I have two kids. So I'm a single mom of two and I'm out there in the dating world. Um, it's equal parts heartbreaking as it is absolutely fucking fun. <laughs> and I <laughs> love it. Um, yep. and so I find myself in this unique position where I don't know what I want. I know I want commitment on some level. Okay. I know I'm looking for that. I'm looking for a partner. It's getting hard doing all this heavy lifting, not having a man to hang things up for me or, you know, like, and I'm, I'm very nurturing. I love having a partner. I like, I, I, you know, um, on like an intrinsic level, like I have this desire to like 
cook a bearded man a meal, you know, like I have some sort of, like, I think there's some some primal desire. Yes. I have primal desire to have a man in my life and nurture him and love him to smithereens and us just like be ride or dies and build a life together. But in that same breath, I've experienced the single life and I enjoy it. I like going on little dates and, hey, am I going to go to this concert with this new guy and go salsa dancing with this other guy this other day? And are we going to have a little makeout or whatever? Like that part is so fun. There's a part of me that if I'm being candid, like that's going to be really hard to shut the door. And so, you know, um, I have a friend whose marriage I've looked up to and they've been married a really long time and I won't share because I feel like this was, um, they told me this in private, but you know, I was like, gosh, you guys just have this marriage. They've been together so long. And I'm like, obviously I don't know what works. I'm divorced. I'm on the process. And and me having you here today is I know it doesn't work. Um, so I want to know what works. And when I asked them like, what's your secret? And they said, well, we're swingers. There's one of the possible recipes to success. (laughs) Exactly. And so I'm just really open. I'm not saying this is me like, I am hundred percent going to be non-monogamous or, or I'm going to be monogamous and where I feel right now. And I'm curious what your thoughts are here is right now where I stand is like, I would desire some sort of commitment, Mm -hmm. right? Like I I want that grounded foundation, um, to, to have that like built-in best friend, but I just don't know if I need to get married again, especially if we don't have children. I think when you have a family like yourself, like staying together for the family makes sense. So that's maybe my question for you. Like if you didn't have children, do you think you'd stay married? Oh, um, I have a juicy answer for you, which is that I've already been divorced. So okay. I've done that. Um, okay. I had children with someone, then I divorced. I've, I am open with the person I'm married to now. We are married for a reason a lot of people are married. Um, it, it's, it's advantageous. It, the, our society privileges and gives rewards for marriage, including tax privileges and healthcare privileges and things like that. So let's be real. Some of getting married is about, does this make sense on paper? Mm-hmm. And that is why we both signed on the dotted line. And then there's the other reasons, which are so much more personal. And I don't think there's a right or wrong. Like, do I need to be married? Nope. Do I wear a wedding ring? Nope. Um, but do I think marriage can't fit into this picture? No, that's not true either. It absolutely can. I love being married to this particular person. If you were to say, take this person out of my life, would I marry someone else? Probably not. I don't know. Like I don't have any deep desire for that piece of paper. But um, to each their own, the Mm -hmm. marriage itself, my goal is for everyone to define what they want out of their relationship, get really, really clear, stop living into the idea that there is a right way or a wrong way to do it Mm -hmm. and figure out what works for you and then actually ask for that. Stop negotiating for something you don't want and negotiate for what you actually do want. You said it's kind of fun to still date. Cool. How can you keep that dating energy? And still meet the needs of whoever you happen to be partnered with. Like, what are their needs? Some people have a really deep need for exclusivity in some areas. Mm. I call this creative monogamy. If you want some areas to be very exclusive, Mm -hmm. be clear about that. And yep, you might find yourself in that swinger mentality, right? That's a whole community, the lifestyle, or you might decide that you're going to be expansive for a while and see how that goes. But you might plan in sometimes when you're like, yeah, I'm in grad school right now. I would prefer to be monogamous by practice right now because I'm overwhelmed. Or when somebody is pregnant, sometimes they'll be like, yeah, you know what? I just don't have the extra energy to look out that way. Mm. There's no, there's no one way to do this. There's a million ways. Okay. Yeah. And it just seems like communication is really important. So the, yeah, this is something that I'm navigating myself because I'm exploring, I'm in this, in this season now where I'm like, okay, like I've been strong, independent, single mom, and I'm ready to bring in a partner in my life, you know, like for emotional support, say there's a death in the family or whatever. And like, I actually spent a couple of days before Christmas, um, completely alone in my house when it was one of the darkest moments of my life. And I was like, gosh, and I was, I had this, I was sick with the flu. I was vomiting. Anytime I like stood up, I was sick. And I was like, I wished I had a partner, but then I like felt better. And I got, you know, I was fine. I was like, 
ah, I got a day on Wednesday, you know, so I'm I was fine. like, I'm fine. But like, the truth is, I think there is, I think there is an answer of creative non-monogamy, right? Or creative monogamy. So I don't know what this would be called, but currently what, how I feel right now, doctor, is I feel that I would like, like I said, some level of commitment and exclusivity for a certain amount of time and then negotiate after a point of time is up to then see how I feel because there is something that um, I find, I think I am a demisexual to a degree, right? And we can talk about that where monogamy to a certain degree actually arouses me to have ownership or like, that's my man, right? Or like, that's my woman, like, like that gets me going. I really love that. Um, but I'm very open-minded and fluid to, to know that I don't know all the answers. I don't know how I'm going to feel in five years with you, 10 years with you. When I'm in my forties, am I going to want to get a little wild and crazy again? My hormones are doing whatever they do. Uh, maybe. Right. right. So, how old are your kids? Um, my kids are, five, they're about to be five and my oldest just turned seven today. So yeah, five and seven. So then as that shifts too, because your energy level may shift and your desires yeah. may shift over time like we can't discount what happens as we move through the parenting years. I was a young parent. So like, yeah, it, same. it definitely changed how, what I wanted and what I felt like I needed in my life. What are my bottom line requirements were? Yeah. What, what I heard in what you were saying is that you had, there's a part of you that feels very attract, like attracted to the feeling totally entangled with another person, like really feeling like this is my person and I can count on them for everything and anything. And you would also maybe not want to cut yourself off from all opportunities. Right. And that's where a lot of people find themselves. And so a question I get asked frequently is, is it better to open up from the beginning and know that you are being open, you're practicing some kind of open relationship? Yeah. Yeah. Or is it better to enter as, hey, we're monogamous, and then down the road, maybe we'll open up? And my answer to that question is, it depends on you. It depends on what it is that you're seeking. Mm-hmm. There, But both can work. Mm-hmm. And we have to be really careful to not fall into the trap of thinking that we can change someone. So if you get together with someone and, and just expect that over time, they will become open to being open, not necessarily. And that's their right to not want that. Right. On the, on the flip side, we also can't expect our partners who are like, yes, I'm super monogamous. I was, I, I thought I was monogamous. Right. Till I wasn't Uh until I knew what other options were out there for me to structure my life around. And then I was like, Oh, and often my clients will report that what happens is they, they have an awakening. There's this moment where they're like, Oh, yeah. I love my stability, but there's more that I want as well. How, can I, can I have yes. both? Can I, I have my cake and eat it too? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you know, there, I love the traditional way. Like I I'm torn. You're exactly right. Like what I'm learning to, as I'm writing a memoir, it's being edited right now. And so I talk all about like these feelings a little bit more um, in depth, but learning what real love is and like real love is unattached. We don't have ownership. So it's, it's that two things can be true. Like I want to be yours, but also I know that real love can't be contained and there is a, it's free. Love is free, you know? And so I feel loved when I am able to be free. And I'm a person who needs a lot of independence and a lot of alone time. In a a previous podcast, I talked about having avoidant attachment style. Mm -hmm. So going off on my own and feeling my own autonomy and my own sense of freedom in my life is a, is a core value. Like I, I don't do well with a partner who wants to control me, wants to keep me in a box, wants to write all these rules. I do really well with a partner who's like, let's write our own rules. You know, right. and that looks like we start out in the traditional route and we, you know, whatever, but I have had partners since I've been single. I, I'd say maybe there's two partners that I've had where I think I could honestly say, we would do very well in a non-monogamous because we have been, I mean, I'll be real. Like right. you're dating, partner. you're, you're dating. We I'm used to dating. call that dating. Yeah. And now so, all of a sudden everybody's like monogamous from the first date. I, it's when did so that weird. No one calls it dating. But yeah, there's like two guys that I've dated who I've been 
in the mix with other guys and I've stayed very close to these two partners emotionally and whatever. And we've all been seeing other people, but I'm still, I still maintain a bond with them. So I'm like, well, this is kind of working. Would it be the end of the world if I just brought one a little closer to the heart space and allowed them in to meet needs for me? And then like, do we call that boyfriend and girlfriend? Do we just leave it alone? It's so, it's so, it's hard. Like, what about, let's talk about labels. Yeah. It's important to label. Well, here's what's important. It's very important. And this is something that's really, really, really important when we are attachment style aware. We have to remember that the the things that might not feel important to you might feel very important to someone else, right? So somebody who has more of an anxious or disorganized style might find that the label is very, very important for them Mm -hmm. because of the things that that label means. So the, the question isn't whether you use labels or not. The question is, do you have conversations about what you're doing? Or do you want to just go through life saying, I just want to be able to take whatever action I want, mm. and then we'll figure it out afterwards. Because right. that's not actually, that's not terribly, um, it's not really going to give you an ethical framework. To yeah, work, right? yeah it like, feels more asking, selfish and not integrated is what you're saying. Asking forgiveness instead of permission Mm. it sucks. Now, I don't want anybody to have to ask permission, but there's a difference between like, what if we move into the heart space of, I want to be honest with you and say, I want to bring you into me closer. I would like to be closer to you. And I do not want to cut myself off from other relationships. What if you have that honest conversation? Usually people don't have that conversation because they are afraid that then they'll get rejected right? That then it will be, no, 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 you can't like, we can't have more and you have other Mm -hmm. because almost everyone has a mono like paradigm, right? We're living in this mono paradigm. And so they're in the mono paradigm in the mono mind, we equate exclusivity with love. Mm, So true. Love. And so then I take a label, like, are we boyfriend, girlfriend? And now all of a sudden boyfriend, girlfriend implies we're into the implicit It implies exclusivity and the Mm. exclusivity equals love. So the label itself means something and it means something very attached to your emotions and your heart space. When in fact, we could have the conversations and we could say, what do I mean to you? What, Mm. like, tell me, like, use your words and help me understand what it is I mean to you. And maybe we use those labels. Maybe we don't. Um, I use the label partner. I technically have a husband. Right. I rarely call him my husband because it comes with all these assumptions about the space he holds in my life when, in fact, it's a really complicated and nuanced picture. So mm-hmm. are you willing to have uncomfortable conversations that could potentially mean that some people are like, oh, I don't know whether I can really be in that space of non-attachment. I don't know whether I can allow this to flow freely because I feel safe when I have a promise of exclusivity and I don't want to have to talk about any of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I feel both that. So technically my, this is funny. This is why I'm polarized uh, because I have a fearful avoidant attachment style. So I am equal parts, anxious, equal parts, avoidant. So there's that part of me that's like, ah, I want you to be mine. Then there's that other part that's like, uh, I don't want to be anybody's, you know? Yeah. Well, no. here's, how, here's how that usually plays out. And you can please tell me if I get it wrong. Sure. But often when we're in that spot of, I don't want to be anyone. I want anyone to own me, mm-hmm. but also I'm scared. So I would like to own other people. So it sounds really good to be in an open relationship from my side. But then when I really stop to think about, okay. And then when my partner wants to express their openness and they want their relationships, how do I feel? Do I feel safe in my body? Do I feel safe in my relationship? Do Mm -hmm. I feel like I can offer them that? And for a lot of people in the fearful avoidance space, they're struggling because they they really do want it to be one-sided. And I want them to just be honest with themselves. If Mm -hmm. what you want is that kind of asymmetry, you need to name it. You need to name it and not keep saying, oh, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. And then things blow up when a year later he's like, so I found somebody I want to date and you lose your freaking mind. You <laughs> because you weren't prepared. It. Do you yeah. mean name the feeling like I'm feeling? Okay. Yep. So, name it. Name yeah. that fear of like, I think I want this for me and I'm afraid for you to have it. I'm, yeah, a, I'm so afraid for you to have that freedom. There's a lot of like, so even thinking about this, I'm like, okay, I have a partner and like, there's been two partners that I've had that I'm like, we just keep kind of like coming back to each other no matter what. And like, 
really just solid friendship, solid relationship. And I'm like, gosh, I can't really like imagine not having them in my life. Huh? That would kind of stink. And then, um, then I know they've had other partners and I have thought about like, yeah, I get a little jealous. And so to back up a little bit, um, one, I have abandonment wounds and rejection wounds. So that's something that I'm healing. And two, um, I have a lot of like, I guess you would call it. So cheating, right. Betrayal trauma. So, right. So, um, growing up, like my father, um, quote unquote, cheated on my mom for like seven years. Uh, nobody knows this. I have a, like a stepbrother that I've never even met, like a love child that he had with one of the women that he was with. And so that was really painful to see and experience as a child, um, that betrayal. And it's interesting because had they have maybe just had an open relationship or, um, you know, it wouldn't have quote unquote been cheating. They're still together is the thing. Right. And like, a lot of people, a lot of people like cheating. Yeah. Like, like there's plenty, like monogamy doesn't protect us from the, the, the jars of jealousy, right? Like it does, sure. it does. lots of people actually really want to be monogamous and cheat. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a real thing. Like it, so would an open relationship solve that kind of problem? No, it probably wouldn't because at core, we have two people who likely couldn't talk about the real stuff, what was actually going on. And so they they either prefer or felt too unable at the time, un, like unresourced to mm-hmm. have the conversations to be honest about what they want and need. Open relating requires more ability and willingness to have those uncomfortable conversations and to sit and hold yourself with the like, oh, I have all these big feelings. And that doesn't mean I have to act on them. I have, I am a jealousy researcher, but I still feel jealousy all the time. Like it happens all the time. And I sit and I hold it and I don't allow it to rule and dominate my actions. But if you keep to the mono paradigm and find yourself over and over again, also wanting to be exploring, there is this question of like, yeah, are you going to be able to hold to that? Are you going to be able to hold yourself in your values? Mm. And that's really difficult. Some people do it great. Some people do a great job, but they feel sort of an inner death. Mm. Like, oh, I feel like a part of me is like not alive. I'm like, I'm sticking to the letter of the law. I'm doing the thing, but it's really hard. Yeah. Other people make excuses. And they create like an okay situation in their own head, a justification for why it's okay. Yeah. So I guess playing devil's advocate, there's a part of me that's like, okay, well, if we're going on the reverse side of things, can we say that ethical non-monogamy or just uh, creative monogamy or whatever, any of these buckets, can we say that this is just um, a wound in itself that we are incapable of commitment or that we are looking and seeking external validation because we can't validate ourselves or we don't allow our partners to do that. Like on the other side of things, let's take a look at that. Yeah. Well, um, let's go backwards then and address it from the first. Um, Everyone seeking external validation. Um, people who are monogamous are also doing that. It's just funny when, when people throw that at non-monogamy, yeah. like, oh my gosh, like any... And in any situation, we may be seeking external validation. You know what? Being validated feels good. It does. Who like it takes an a transcendent level of like Buddhist calm to truly have moved into a non-attachment phase where you're not seeking that. So I'm gonna say most people aren't there. Let's give everybody an equal pass to, yep, sometimes we date for validation. Now, the question of whether non-monogamy is a wound showing up. Yeah, for some people it is. For some people, their all of their relating comes from places of woundedness. Mm-hmm. Um, any anything that's going on in their relationships, if they're cheating, is that coming from is that coming from a place of wholesomeness? Nope. Is there is monogamy coming from a place of wholesomeness? Only according to a very na- a very narrow description of what exactly constitutes a traditional relationship. Mm-hmm. These traditional relationships we're talking about. The research tells us very clearly, we're talking about like 150 years of tradition, 150 years. That's it. Like before that, we have marriages that are about bringing property together and bringing lines and lineage together and survival based marriages. Like we marry or we freaking die because we cannot make enough food and babies to keep surviving. And before that, we have another like there's no there's no reason to get bogged down in whether this is right 
at, on a systemic level. Yeah. It just doesn't matter. What really matters is what, why are you doing it? What's mm -hmm. your reason? And I do see people picking, choosing non-monogamy because they don't want to do their inner work. It usually goes poorly. I also see people in long-term relationships choosing not to do their inner work and it goes really poorly. Yeah. You're going to do your stuff or not? Yeah, I know that's fascinating. And I think, I think it's as fluid as it sounds and it, and it is all about your wounds showing up in different ways. And I think that is why I'm very spiritual. And I had a spiritual like guru on the podcast. So I'm like channeling him right now, but I think it's all lessons, right? And so there's this part of me who I've had this open conversation with my therapist, uh, with my closest friends, where I was like, you know, I have so much betrayal trauma. There is this part of me that wonders, hmm, is this something I just need to look straight in the eye going into a creative monogamy situation and realize, hey, is this that that big scary monster? Is this so bad, right? Like- there's a part of me that wonders if it's that, or if it's like, should I stay far, far away from it because it hurt me so bad seeing that growing up. So it's interesting. And it's a very curious thing to consider um, because yeah, how you show up in your relationships, it can hurt you or help you. And I think that is, you know, to your point, I think that is um, human relationships. It, it's, it's, it's a chance to look at your wounds and heal and grow. And I think what you, what I'm hearing you say is perhaps look at the wound first and then make a decision on which direction, right? Well, in an ideal world, maybe. And that's, true. that's a lot of work. That's, that's imagining, <laughs> that's imagining that you can see it. So let's, so I'm a Jungian psychologist. So okay. I, I, I have an actual PhD. You know, when people talk about yeah. shadow work, yeah. I have an actual PhD. I don't, I'm just, psychology. this is just stuff so, I've seen on the internet. Yeah, yeah. So, but like <laughs> when people talk about, when people talk about like looking at their wounds, I think, okay, yes, let's do that. Remember though, you can't see what's in your unconscious. You can't like, so the shadow is a very, it's a, it's a metaphor to help us understand that we cannot see and know all of us, all of what we are. And so a lot of our motivations are running under the surface. So yeah, it's great to, um, to be able to point directly to the betrayal trauma that you experienced as a child. Very, very helpful. And then maybe to look forward, I bet you can analyze your marriage and see like, oh, here's where that little beast popped up its little head. There it is. I bet you could actually look to your friendships too and also analyze them and see where it pops up. But what you can't see is all the stuff that's outside of your current conscious awareness. And a lot of times that is even louder running the show. And so what's what else is down there? Beside the betrayal trauma, what else is down there? Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that comes up for a lot of us is a lot of us have a, a push-pull relationship with the idea of being selfish right? I want, I want, I want what I want. I want my needs and wants met. Also, I don't ever want to be perceived as selfish. That's true. So how do I work with wanting more, wanting novelty, wanting access to more partners and also not be perceived as selfish? So let's just imagine for a second that you or anyone had this, this real like difficulty around the idea of selfishness and wanting more but it's outside of their conscious awareness. So mm. that's gonna be running around under there. And then we start piling everything at the altar of this wound, this betrayal wound. And we say, oh, ev everything I'm feeling, my relationships, it really just keeps coming back to that. Yeah, that's the thing you're consciously aware of. I wanna do the deeper work that says, yeah, what else is going on in there? And we can't, so we can't always pregame this. I Pregaming is important. It's really important to lay your cards on the table and say, I'm coming into this relating time with all of this that I know about. And to remember, we don't know what we don't know. And that, and we often apply that to our partners and we yeah. see how they don't know what they don't know about themselves. Mm -hmm. And we forget to apply it to ourselves. So it could be that you just need to sit in the mystery of, I don't know whether this would be good for me or not. Right. Can I dip my toe and can I explore without committing wholeheartedly? Like you don't have to decide to like go be polyamorous. I literally left a marriage and joined a polyamorous triad within four months. Oh, wow. I do not recommend it. Don't, yeah. like, don't do that. Like that's, yeah. that was, that was me reacting from unconscious patterns, right? Sure. right? Sure. I wouldn't recommend it. 
But I'm guessing that you can take a step back and say, what would be the smallest step that I could take to explore whether this might be an appropriate fit for me so that mm-hmm. you can learn as you go? Yeah, that's interesting. And I think too, um, it's just so taboo, right? To to operate this way. Do you do you find that couples are happier when they're creative, well, the- monogamous or... Yeah, the research tells us that relationship satisfaction across relationship structures is about the same. Okay. If if anything, I would say that the people who do the deeper work. So if we talk about non-monogamy, we tend to group everybody together. But I would actually like to, to parse that apart. Like, what if we pulled it apart and said, yeah, well, there are people who are actively engaging in this as like, wow, this is how I grow. This is like, this is my work. And sure. then there are people who are like, we fuck around and find out. Huh. Those are two different groups of yeah. people, right? And so I would say that the relationship satisfaction amongst the people who are seeing this as an active part of their growth process, very high in my experience, very, very high. And for people who are like, let's play and see. Yeah, right. they get banged up some mm. in any kind of relationship. And this offers more opportunities to right. potentially get banged up. So yes, it could be, the highs and lows could be more intense. Okay, yeah, because I can, I could imagine, and I've seen marriages where they're on their way out, the marriage is fizzling out, it's not working, <laughs> and a lot of people will lean on swinging or they'll lean on non-monogamy, open relationships as a last resort to save the marriage. What are your thoughts on that? Ugh. <laughs> I'm going to be really, really honest. Yeah. Um, you can do it. You can do it. But remember that if you, all the things that were hard to talk about when you were in the marriage, they're... They, they're still all going to exist and you're It'd still going to work them out and they'll probably be more complicated. Right. And, and there will definitely be times when you're like, oh, I thought that was hard. Oh, no, I just turned the dial up to 11. Right. So there's that. There's also this. Um, the same is true when we're married and we say, OK, this marriage is over. And I remember leaving my first marriage and being like, oh, we could just never get on the same page about X, Y and Z. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now we're not married, but we share children and we still have to get on the same page about X, Y, and Z. Yep. It got harder, not easier because I lost influence over this person. And yet we still needed to come to shared commitment about things. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think it's a good idea for people to try this as a last ditch effort. I actually think it's a better idea to allow the relationship to become whatever it needs to become and mm-hmm. let yourself go through the grieving process of that's done. Maybe we have a future together in some new form, but sure. that's fun. And active grief is a step almost everybody misses, whether they're monogamous or non-monogamous. We have these phases of relationship that need to come to completion and we should ritualize that. We should like, wouldn't it be great if when we got divorced, it was just as big a deal as when we got married and everybody around us was like, okay, we see you doing the thing. Oh, we see, I was thinking immediately like funeral, like that. That sounds nice. Everyone just kind of like, you know what? You guys had a good run. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it has to be nasty. You know, I asked because, you know, when I asked for, not like I had to ask for a divorce, but I told my ex-husband, you know, the day I wanted to divorce, he was just like, what if we did an open relationship? What if we had an open marriage? And that really the the issues that were coming at out and at hand had nothing to do with our sex life. They had nothing to do with, you know, betrayal trauma, like, For 15 years we were together, I can confidently say, at least on my end, I was quote unquote faithful to one partner. I didn't, you know, like seek anything outside of my marriage. So it wasn't when he proposed that I'm like, well, I'm not leaving you for those reasons. I'm leaving you for X, Y, Z reasons. And we couldn't communicate to save our lives. And so I think what it sounds like to me that you're saying is if this is a lifestyle that you want to explore, even for a little bit, maybe for a life whatever, maybe even just to consider, consider your partner first and consider and and make sure it's someone you can communicate. Cause it sounds like to me, is that not the foundation of this whole thing working out Yeah, in either direction is being able to communicate well. Right. And, but it's not just, well, it's about what Mm. most people who show up in my world will tell me like, yeah, we're great at communicating. We're awesome at it. And they are in certain areas. A lot of times they're like, yeah, we co-parent really well together, or we run a business together and we do great there, or, you know, we run a household together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Okay. Tell me about how do you do communicating when you both want something and those two things appear to be mutually exclusive, like that one will block the other. How do you do then? Yeah. How do you do when one of you wants something and the other actually finds that to be abhorrent? You don't like it. You find that to be icky. What do you do then? Those are the kind of conversations that you need to teach yourself. And this is, I mean, when people work with me, they'll, they have to sign on for at least a year at least a year, because it takes time. This isn't just communication skills. This is shifting what it becomes okay to talk about and how we do that and allowing ourselves to be in an experimental, like, okay, this is really uncomfortable because I've never seen anyone talk about these things and not either throw plates at the wall or leave or, you know, like run away, isolate. Yeah. Um, I've only seen it go badly. So I don't know how to do it. Yeah. Most people haven't seen good examples of really nuanced, touchy conversations happening with an open hearted. Wow. I don't know how we're going to get through this, but mm. I'm in this conversation with you and I'm not leaving. Mm. Wow. There's a lot there. I do want to go back to the jealousy bit because it sounds like you've done a lot of research there. Um, and that's something too, where I'm like, you know, is this something? Cause I I'll be candid. I had a similar conversation with my therapist. I'm like, Tina, I don't hate being single right now. I'm actually hitting my stride, but you know, that, uh, Christmas, Christmas break time where I was alone in my house, I didn't have my children. And all I wanted was a partner to like take care of me. And then I wanted to do like the, the Christmas thing with, um, with another man in the house and like have family traditions, like that there is this desire to have a man. She goes, yes, you deserve commitment. You deserve that. I said, but well, Tina, maybe I'm a little afraid of commitment. Um, because like, you, you know, you were saying like the, the, maybe I feel selfish because I don't know if the traditional marriage sounds so great to me long-term. Maybe I'm scared to jump into something and it doesn't work like it did with my ex-husband or I get in that monotonous routine and, you know, I think here's my issue is I just haven't seen too many marriages that look all that great. I don't see one. I, I, I can, I, on a, I don't even know on one hand, maybe that I've seen marriages where I'm like, wow, I really want that. And yeah. I, 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 I would love to have that. It's like, I see boyfriends and girlfriends. I see cute little relationships. I see divorced women, like living their best life in their forties with like some, hottie and like, you know, trouncing around in Italy and, you know, whatever, like that sounds nice. But when I think about the part where committing and sticking around for the hard stuff, right? Like maybe a newborn baby, maybe like you said, like pregnancy or all of those like lulls in time. How do you, well, what's your advice there for me? Yeah, where I'm so afraid of, of that space of like, things feeling not so fun anymore. And what do you, how do you navigate that? The, I have, I have a first assignment for you. Here's what I would say. If you were working with me privately, I would say we need to understand what it is you mean when you say traditional marriage, because you use that Brittany, yeah. as, a, as a placeholder for something. There is no such thing. There mm -hmm. is no such thing. I think thing. it would be a, like an a idea from you. Yeah. I grew up super religious, like Southern Baptist. So tradition would be like, get married in the church, you mm -hmm. know, stay faithful, you know, uh, woman serves her husband and he's the man of the house. And some of those values are great. Um, and then you have a family and you stay together forever, ever, ever. And you never, so I'm like one of the first to get divorced. And like, when we told our parents, they came at me and both sides like, no, you're not. Yeah. You can't do that. And I'm like, thing. I ha I have to, cause I'm living a lie yeah. and the, I'm actually terribly unhappy. And I've been unhappy with this person for so long. Like I, and, and so much other things were going on that people just didn't know about. And I'm like, I got to get out of this. And it was to them. How could you do that? That's not, that's not what we do. We stay together. Right. And so we stay yeah. together and miserable. And, I, and that's, that's what matters. I don't want to be miserable. Yeah. So don't. And that, that's where I'm at. I'm like, I've come so far, you know, I've built a business on my own as a single mom. I'm like providing and taking care of myself. But like, I was crying to my mom like two days ago. I'm like, mom, like I'm doing all this. And I have a surgery coming up at the end of the month. And I'm like, gosh, just to have like a masculine presence, like a man there, which actually 
have like my guy best friend coming to come take care of me. He's like, yeah, I got you. It's one of like the partners I talked about who's like, he's always going to be there. Like we actually love each other. We say, I love you. Like he's always going to be there to take care of me. And if, if anything happened to him, like I would be there too. Um, but we're not like exclusive to each other. And I don't really know what's going to happen with that. Who knows? It could go either way. And that's the thing, like exclusive to each other. Right. Like, so it's, like not allowed to have friends anymore. The problem with the, that I, that particular version of traditional marriage you just outlined yeah. is um, it sucks. It's it sucks. It, it, it sucks. It sucks. Sorry, Here's the God. thing. The I, core love of it, <laughs> I love it. The core of that version of marriage is that we don't talk about the hard things because honestly, it doesn't matter. You have to stay. I have to stay. We actually don't have to. A few people are going to make that work and it's going to fit them. They're going to get lucky. They roll the dice. They pick someone and they get lucky and it's yummy and luscious. And if that is you, I celebrate the hell out of it. Yay. And most people are going to pick somebody who's a good enough fit. And then you're going to grow and you're going to change. And if the, the thing that keeps you together is this idea of tradition, Mom, great. You are screwed because the tradition is designed to keep you in stasis, to keep you exactly the same, but you're a growing, changing human. Hmm. So what exactly are you staying in? Like what exactly? An institution, this institution of marriage. It's not a real thing. It's a construct. It's an idea. There is nothing to stay in. It will not hold you. It will not warm your feet up at night. But that desire that you have to have someone who you can count on. Yeah. That's a real thing. You yeah. can build around that. So here's the move. You shift from, you start by making a huge download. You fill up a whole damn journal about everything that you were taught traditional marriage should be. Write it and write it and write it and write yeah. it. And then write another one about what do you actually want? And I don't mean high level. I mean, day by day, how do you mm-hmm. want your life to look? What do you want out of life? Build that relationship. Yeah. Because I'm married and my relationship from the outside, I look like a soccer mom. I have the huge van. I have the seven kids. I have this beautiful man who stands next to me and does all the things and teaches all the kids to drive, does all the things. Um, On the inside, I also am incredibly free. So is he. And we are each other's growth partners through thick and thin. I mean, we've, we've watched through the growth partner. Yeah. We, so we're in an, an intensively individuation oriented relationship, but we've also walked through, I mean, he and I walked through my brother's death, my mother's death, my father's death together. We've walked through growing pains with the children dealing with all, and all of that. I still want that. Yeah. And yes, I sleep with other people. These are actually not hard things to hold next to each other, but they are. If you imagine that you can only have that thick and thin partner, if you don't do the other thing, but a lot of people really can set this down. It does take a lot of unpacking though, because the, the mono mind, it's like a suitcase. You unpack that stuff and you're like, no, 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 we don't have, we can be more like more complicated than that. And we unpack that all, but it's like gremlins and they crawl back into the suitcase at night. And you're like, oh crap, I'm caught in those old thought patterns. So what do you actually want? How do you actually want to show up in your relationship and then choose someone who can do that now? Not someone who you think can do that eventually when you teach him. Someone who's already doing it. Choose a man who's already going to therapy. In other words. Oh, well, in that case, it's the guy that's, that's coming to take care of me. He's in yep. therapy. Um, interesting. This is very interesting. Um, yeah, I I think I'm having some epiphanies here because, wow, that's okay. So here's another thing that I, okay, I'm a romance author, right? So yep. I like to fantasize uh, and romanticize that part, the the romance of a relationship. I love that part. I love that honeymoon phase, like that falling in love, the dates, all of it. And I know there are guys who can keep that alive for sure. Um, my issue is like, I have this like dream in this like romanticized version of something I'd like to do, but I'm like, I'm also terrified of it. Like eloping, like running off into the mountains and like getting married. But like I told my therapist here, I'm like, 
but like, can we, can I do that? But like, not the marriage part, like not like the signing the documents or, you know, like I want to do the, like, let's just run off. Let's run away together in the mountains and just be crazy. And like, I'll wear a cute dress and you look cute. And we'll take photos of us, like making out in the pine trees and we'll be barefoot. And I want to do that so bad. Um, and then you get to, you you get to have all the romance. Like there's an, you, I want to celebrate incredibly committed, like you're my person, but I don't know if I, I I don't think I'll ever do the big wedding again. And I don't know if I want the piece of paper, unless you, like you said, it's kind of like, unless we maybe build a business together and it's like, all right, well, you're in this business with me. Like might as well sign on the dotted line for the tax benefits or whatever. Right. Well, yeah. So let's, let's again, sort out these, there's some stuff conflated in here. Yeah. What? What you're talking about, that kind of romance, I've done that with more than one person. Mm. Like, why why do you have to only do that with one person? Um, why do you only get to have that delicious romantic energy one more time in your life and then and then you couldn't do it again? So first off, that's that's just the myth that you've told yourself. You can you can untangle that. Yeah. And then next, well, what if you want all of that yummy, delicious, like I literally have, have experienced that deliciousness of, I know this person's going to be here. And you also want to understand that you're going to grow and change. And so we need to have some way to, you know, I don't know, like revisit this. Okay. So here's what I do. And a lot of my clients bristle at this idea at the beginning, but it grows on them over time. I have been married to this partner for 10 and a half years. So we've gone through this cycle three times now. Um, we renegotiate our relationship all the time. Everybody does, right? Like you're, oh, you know, I don't want to do the dishes. I'm going to mop the floors, whatever. Sure, sure. But then there's the big stuff. Um, Ken and I have a relationship where every three years, there's a full off-ramp available to each of us. We renegotiate everything from the ground up as if we were getting divorced, we, there is a presumption that we both have to opt into this relationship every three years. So we did marry. So that means that we also have a very clear agreement ahead of time written down that says, if we decide to take that off ramp, here are the next steps. Here's the mediator we use. Here's who gets the house. Here's how we do this stuff. Here's how we split our finances here. That's not even for me about prenup. It is about an ongoing intentional commitment to every three years coming back to the table and saying, I'm in this with you. Yeah. Fuck yeah. For another three years. I totally want to do that. That feels so good. Yeah. 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 I love that. It's awesome. And it's a little scary. People say like, wait, you, you mean you just like wake up and know that he has to re-up. And I'm like, yeah, we all actually do it that way. But uh, I think that's standard because, um, honestly the, the, the notion that marriage is still death to his part is also a construct. It is. I'll divorce people leave every day 50 50 I left yeah you know and and so yeah I think that's important to maybe like my um therapist said to me like maybe you just have continue if you like that feeling that romanticism like you just have little commitment ceremonies like every five years every 10 years you go off and you do oh, make it more soon than that make it way more five and ten years is w- that's crazy that's mono mind talking okay. I have a friend who's been married now for she's been married for seven years. Yeah. They've had five wedding ceremonies. I was just at the last one in, in Mexico. We were all together. They've had five wedding ceremonies. Yeah, I love that. Wedding. I love, I love the act of like love. Love is yeah. everything to me. So I'm like, oh, I would love to have like, okay, we run off and we do our little wedding. And then we go back and we have this like forest lit dinner with our intimate people and all the people we love. And I'm like, that sounds like a wedding and a reception. That sounds fantastic. But then I'm like, oh, I don't want to sign that paper. <laughs> I know. Yeah, so so just don't. Okay. So just don't. I like just talk, like and if you are partnering with people who are unable to hold that tension and they they freak out because they're like, but but we have to because that's how I feel safe. You you need to get into a conversation with a therapist who is fully understanding, who really understands beyond the monogamous imagination of what commitment can be. And not all of them are. And that's not a it's that is about their training for one thing. I have I have yeah. a doctor and I also have a master's in mental health counseling. We're not trained for this. Right. But it's also about making sure that we understand that humans are so creative and it only matters what the two of you want. 
And then if you decide to have, even if you decide to just be partner, just you and a partner, and you, even if you decide on a technical forever to remember that there is no such thing. We live in a culture where you get to leave. So that, that technical forever, it's not real. Like if all of us woke up every day, so literally every day when I wake up next, if I wake up next to my marriage partner every single day, the first thing each of us says is I choose you. I choose me. Let's do this together. That's beautiful. Because that's the only way, like, that's all anybody can do. And I know a lot of people who are married really do do that. They get up every day, they put on their boots and they choose. Mm. The question is, can you say it? Can you say it? Like, let yourself say it. It's both corny and romantic. Well, there's so much intention behind what you're saying. It's, it's, I think that is maybe what's lacking in marriage that I just don't think it, it's so unconscious, right? It's so like, well, we signed the paper and it's me and Dave for the next 20 years and he's going to get lazy with me and I'm going to get resentful with him and there's no intention behind it. And so, yeah, like fuck it. I want these little like dreamy little bop around trips and whatever. And I want to feel that romance. And maybe in 10 years, I want to fuck around and find out and date because I'm feeling sassy and I want to make out with my salsa instructor. I have no idea. Right. Yeah. And what if you just didn't have to know? What if it was just this? What if you didn't have to know right now? Because built into your relationship was the understanding that you are going to be in an ongoing negotiation. And so that it doesn't have to be this thing where you come home one day to Dave and you're like, so we need to talk because I have feelings for my salsa instructor. And now he gets to lose his mind and freak out and accuse you of emotionally cheating when you're right. just having feelings. It's normal. But if instead it was totally normal to come home and say, Whoa, new salsa instructor is hot and I am having feelings. And what if your partner said, well, tell me all about it. Yeah. What if they said, tell me all about it? Well, yeah. It's a whole different world. And I mean, yeah, it will change. It will transform how you see relationships and it transforms how you experience your attachment wounds too. Like, again, I'm, I'm feeling so safe and free. Like when you're saying like, oh man, I would love that. But then I'm like, if he came home and he was like, oh, the waitress in that short dress, I'd be like, excuse me. Okay. So now we know where your work is. Great. You've got jealousy work to do. Oh, I have so much jealousy work to do. I've been, I've been invited like, quote unquote, like, Hey, would you ever want to have a threesome? And I was like, absolutely not. I would never want to see another woman on you. I would be so upset. And I would. Yeah. So the thing is not everybody wants this. Not everybody wants this and you definitely don't have to. And it's not that it's a better relationship. You can do all the communication things I've been talking about and still have just one partner. And maybe it's just boundaries, right? Like uh, it's more complicated. I wish it were just about boundaries. It's not, that's a massive, but you can't, don't No, It won't work. Okay. Okay. Unpack that for a minute. Cause that that's interesting. Yeah, that's that that's the idea that if I make a set of rules that will stay safe. Nope. You need to build actual trust in not just your partner, but in yourself. What if you do get jealous, Brittany? What are you going to do? And most people think here's what happens. We feel we feel jealous and and that feeling bubbles up and it comes out in the flavor of maybe anger, sadness, yeah. anticipatory grief, anxiousness, whatever. Yeah. And we point our fingers at, at our partner and say, you have to stop doing what you're doing because you're making me feel jealous. Uh-huh. Um, no, the feeling is yours. It's being inspired by actions. Sometimes, sometimes it's not even, sometimes it's just yeah. inspired by our imagination. Mm-hmm. My job is to make sure if my partner is upholding our agreements, that jealousy is mine to work with. If my partner's not upholding our agreements, let's go back and talk about what our agreements are. But there is a difference between like, we're going to make a set of rules. Like you can flirt and you can't do this. Usually what happens is people make a set of rules and then yeah, life happens. Yeah. Then somebody has feelings or somebody says, I thought I was just flirting, but you you see it as more than flirting. We have to learn to build immense trust in our capacity to be uncomfortable and to detach okay. the idea that being uncomfortable means we're being harmed. Mm. This is interesting. So one of the partners that I was with, um, 
you know, we had a pretty big age gap. So he was eight years younger than me. And it was just kind of a fluke thing. It was like a romance we fell into. We didn't, we didn't mean to, we didn't mean for it, but we enjoyed it. None, nevertheless. And the only reason we stopped was because he was like, I don't want to be a stepdad. I don't want any part of this. Right. And I don't want to, I don't want to date you, but I want like the access to you and to have fun with you. But I want to see other people. And I don't want, he never wanted to support me emotionally. He never, like, it was very, it was just a physical thing for him. But for me, I started to have feelings. And I know he had some feelings too. Like he's expressed that. But he had a limit of what he was available for. He had a limit. He would never stay the night. And I would be so hurt. And I'm like, why not? Like, I just want to wake up and like have breakfast together. And like, that's the romantic in me. I'm like, I just want to like dance in the kitchen and flip pancakes and make out. I'm so glad that he stated his limits. Because Mm -hmm. if he didn't, that's where he'd actually be hurting you. If he didn't state his limits, he'd be harming you. He stated his limit. He said what he's available for. You said, nope, that's not enough for me. Okay, good. Or you say, you know what? I can accept that for now, but maybe this has a shelf life of six months and I'm going to need a full revisit of this because I'm not going to do this forever. There's not a right or wrong way to do it, but believe people when they tell you that they're not available for something, just believe it. There are million people out there. Just believe it and move on. That is the lesson that I've learned. It's like, I was hoping because I'm like, oh, but the way he looks at me. Oh, but the way he touches me. Oh, the things he says and the fun that we have. He'll come around. Yeah, he'll come around. No. Yeah, but don't. It's it's honestly, it's manipulative. Here's the really icky news. It's manipulative To, to, to want someone to change who they are and who they have told you to be, that they are. Like, really? Would you want that for yourself? Would you want somebody to be like, no, she'll come around. She'll she'll want to have more babies with me or she'll, she'll want to get married to me because I'm special. Doesn't that feel really devaluing and disrespectful? Mm. Every single time you find yourself in one of these situations, flip it around. Invite yourself into the discomfort of like, ooh, would I want to be treated this way? The platinum rule is so much better than the golden rule. We it Most is. of us were taught the golden rule. We were taught to treat each other as well as we would be treated. I want you to level it up. Treat other people the way they ask to be treated. Do that. Yeah, and I think for me and all of my friends and my family, they get so like, well, my family, my, my mom, I just would rant to my friends like, oh, I just don't know why, like, you know, why he's acting like that. And like, and I don't know. I think I've come to some major healing lately where I've accepted it. And I'm like, in what you just said, I was like, yeah, I did always try to wrap him back in and like hope that he would see my value and choose me. And that is a wound, right? Like that's the wound. That's seeking external validation. You're asking him to change who he is so that you'll feel chosen. And that you can only, you, you're going to, that's your self-love work. That's, yeah. that's about yeah. self And so that's where I'm arriving to. And I'm like, okay, well, I do love me. And I was hoping that this person could be my person to show up for me when I'm sick or whatever. Cause like I started to develop other feelings. Like I want to emotionally take care of you. I want, like, I had that deep desire. Like I said, like, I want to like make a man dinner. I want to, you know, like yeah, love someone. Remember we're also, humans are really perverse and the, we will always want the thing somebody won't give us. So then that value, the value on what you wanted from him went up because he wasn't available for it. So get suspicious, get very, very suspicious of your want because you have also spent a long time over this hour. You've spent a long time saying, I don't, I don't want that from everybody. I don't necessarily want to sign on. I don't want these things. Oh, but he wouldn't give it to you. Now I want it. Now I want it. You're that's, blowing my whole world over. That's basic. That, so that's basic Lacanian theory. Like desire wants desire. And it, the thing that we can't get is the thing we'll want. And so the work there is to meet that need yourself first and see if you still want it. How do you meet the need of like burning hot passion with yourself? Oh, actually, there's lots of ways. Well, I mean, that's, that's another whole I, episode. That's I had another a, whole I had episode. A good time with myself, let's just say that. But I mean, there's, I, I'm not going to make out with myself like that. Right. There's a, there, seriously, that's a, that is literally okay. a, whole, a whole other episode. It really is. But actually I have to stop because I have a client oh, yeah. meeting. Yeah. Top of an hour. You've had a great time. Um, we have, what a great conversation. Blew it open. Let people know where to find you, how to contact you. Cause this is some serious work. I think the world needs and no one's ready to talk about it, but I'm ready to talk about it. We're I love that you are. Here, so <laughs> 
So if, if anybody out there is listening is like, uh, maybe I do want to explore this. I would go over to my quiz, joliquiz.com, J-O-L-I-Q-U-I-Z.com. That's where you can take a 10 question quiz that's built out of my doctoral research that'll help you understand where you are on the scale from like, oh, hell no, we got a lot of work to do before we ever open anything all the way over to the spectrum of yeah, maybe we are ready. How do we do this better? What would the next steps be? Mm-hmm. And you can also follow me on social media at Dr. Jolie underscore Hamilton. I love this so much. Thank you so much. Wealth and knowledge, brilliant human. You're doing big things. Um, appreciate you. Thank you again. Thanks, Brittany.